You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Uh, good morning. If you have a Bible, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2. We're in a, a series right now um, in the letter of 1 Peter, written to scattered Christians in exile around the area of Asia Minor in the first century. So we've been in this book since the beginning of the fall. And whenever I, I plan a series, whenever we do a series, I always leave, um, I usually call it in my, in my outline, a buffer week. And this buffer week is just in case one sermon goes long and needs to become a two-parter or really feel like I want to stop in the middle and do something different um, or we just feel compelled to go, we're going to do something kind of completely off topic. Well, today I'm going to use my buffer card. So I've been waiting for this to use it, so I'm going to use it today. Um, so it's going to be a bit off, off topic, but not really. Um, we've been hearing, the last two weeks have been, I mean, just great teaching on two of the hardest texts uh, for our modern ears to hear in First Peter. Two weeks ago, Pastor Toby from uh, Christ Church in the Richmond District, um, who, who's, a, uh, who's a church historian, by the way, and I love hanging out with him, and he did a great job with the text pertaining to slaves. And then last week, uh, Pastor Dave and his wife, Noelle, did an a, a incredible job with the text pertaining to wives and husbands. And if you thought you were off the hook if you were not a slave or a wife or a husband, um, <laughs> The next verse is finally all of you. And so he just lumps everyone else in. Um, but what happens when he does that, when he lumps everyone in, he, he starts a list that is probably more heavy, if you take it seriously, than what he tells slaves and husbands and wives. But before we get there, we're going to get there today, but before we do, I wanted to stop. I want to rewind a little bit. And I want to take you to what divides the slave section with the husband and wife section. There's a verse right in the middle, right as you're entering into chapter 3 and ending ending chapter 2. There's this verse right here. It says this. For you were like sheep, 1 Peter 2.25. For you were like sheep going astray. For you were like sheep going astray. But you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. The shepherd and the overseer of our souls is what I want to talk about, is who I want to talk about this morning as we take a break. And for that, I would like for you to flip your Bible to the Psalms. Turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Let's read this out loud together. Um, I know that pretty much everyone has this verse memorized. Um, we hear it. I think it's memorized in our subconscious. We were born knowing Psalm 23. Um, but we all have done it in a different translation. Um, so let's read aloud the translation that's on the screen together before we get started. Psalm 23, let's read it out loud together. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths. For his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, this text is so intimately personal. David, the shepherd boy, saying that you are his shepherd. I pray, God, that we would all, this whole flock of people, just a lot of people in this room, that we would all hear individually the voice of our shepherd. Of course, Lord, you have a flock, but this psalm is concerned with this one, like looking at it like we were only sheep. And it's that intimate, God. I pray we would hear it that way. I know we are part of a larger flock. I know we're part of a, a, a large church, but today I pray we would hear the voice of our shepherd. It would be intimate. It would be, Lord, you are my shepherd, and I lack nothing. I shall not want. And so, God, go before us. Would you teach us, Lord? I just pray for just a real intimate time of sitting at your feet, receiving from you, God, that this time would be sweet in your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. The first thing that um, we see in the psalm, the Psalm 23, is we have to pick up on the analogy. There's God's condition and then there's the human condition. God's condition is this. God's analogy, the, the, the way that David analogously talks about God is that God is a shepherd. But then there's the human condition. Then there's us. We are the sheep. God is the shepherd and we are the sheep. Which is so, uh, it's a little funny. It's really cute. Like, well, we're the sheep. But it's very insulting, okay? It's really insulting to think that we are sheep. Now, it's very insulting, especially for those of us who pride ourselves. And there are many of us in this room who pride ourselves in self-reliance, who pride ourselves in having life all together. Or if they don't have life together right now, we have a five-year plan of having life together. Like, it's not together now, but five years from now, my life will be together because I have, I'm self-reliant. But to that, God would call us sheep. To those of us that pride ourselves in emotional self-reliance, we call this resilience. No matter what we go through, we can go through it with, like, like a stoic would go through it, without our face even changing. We go through it, and there's no expression on our face at all. We have strong emotional self-reliance, and there are some of us in here like that. Or we have physical self-reliance. We call this strength. Like, I can go through anything. Nothing can harm me. I know I'm physically fit to handle any situation that comes after me. Anyone that comes, try to take my, my bag, my purse, whatever, I, I'm, I'm going to unload on them. Like, they don't even know. I took Taekwondo when I was a kid. Like, I'm ready for them. Or Zumba, or whatever you do, like, I'm ready. Or there's this financial self-reliance. Like you have, what we call this stability. I have, like you might just have your first real great job after grad school and you are just, I mean, you're so financially self-reliant right now. And we pride ourselves in these things of being resilient, being strong, being stable. All of us, to those people, to, the, to those of us in this room that are full, we're, this room is full of people like this. And this stage is full of people like this. To all of us, it says, you are sheep. Now, in one sense, this is beautiful. In the Psalm 103 sense, it's beautiful. It says this, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. That's so cute. It's so good. Like, God made us, and we're sheep. Oh, we're just like, well, yay us. I mean, this is awesome. This was a good one. But then there's the not so much verse, like Isaiah 53. 
We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned to our own way. This is actually the text that Peter was quoting in 1 Peter chapter 2. This text right here. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Now, why does the Bible continually call us sheep? Well, a couple reasons. This is what we know about sheep. Here's the thing about sheep. Sheep are not known for their intelligence at all, okay? You don't like, intelligent creatures go. You're like, sheep, like number one. The first thing you think about when you think about sheep is not like wise and they're cunning and they outsmart their predators, like none of that. They're not even depicted like that in cartoons or like animated films, nothing. Sheep are prone to wander and they're prone to wander together. They're prone to wander in herds to where it's not like one sheep just goes, I'm gonna go away. It's like the whole group goes, let's just wander for a bit. There are accounts of sheep walking into an open fire and they follow each other into the open fire. Like your friend, you see them like going up, like wool, just fire. And you're like, oh, that, whoa, let's do this. You know, you just kind of go right in. There's accounts of this happening. Sheep are timid, very timid. And at the same time, they're skittish. And at the same time, they're stubborn. So they're timid, skittish, and stubborn. Like the smallest thing can scare a sheep and they all run away. But there's also times, for no good reason, they just get stubborn and they don't want to move. And nothing can move them. They just, little legs lock like this. And they just, <laughs> they just like, like oh, they just stay there. And you can't move them. Like, let's go. Like, no. And then something happens and they all run away. Sheep are completely defenseless. Sheep don't have sharp teeth. They don't have big horns. It's not like some sheep are born with steel wool, like they're the fighting sheep. That's the army sheep. You've born with a really steel wool son. Like you're going to be, you're going to defend. Like none of, no, they're all the same. Sheep can't defend themselves. They don't like hide knives in their wool. Nothing like that. They can't feed themselves really. I mean, they eat what's in front of them. They're not hunters and gatherers. They don't know how to scout for clean water. They drink whatever's in front of them, whatever they can find. Even if it will kill them, they'll drink it. Put it this way. The Discovery Channel will not dedicate a week to sheep. There will not be sheep week. I mean, we have shark week. There will not be sheep week. There will not be like, hey, from the network that brought you shark week, sheep week. You know, watch as they. <laughs> sheep are animals that need. Okay, this is, the, this is the whole point of this whole thing. Okay, that was whatever. But this is the whole point. Sheep are animals that need a shepherd. Sheep are animals, are creatures that need a shepherd. I heard this before. It was completely a joke and a complete over-exaggeration, but it was kind of funny. I heard one time that someone say that the existence of sheep is a strong case against evolution because there's no way sheep could survive the survival of the fittest. Like, it's impossible. Like, sheep. Like, well, we have all this science that proves sheep, man. Sheep. (laughs) I don't know if that holds up in science class. It probably doesn't, but I thought it was kind of funny. The scriptures over and over again call us sheep. And do you see why? Though it's kind of cute, it's actually really insulting. Like when you read sheep, oh, we like sheep have gone astray. It's actually quite insulting. But the analogy, I mean, when you read all these things, you're like, oh my gosh, I've been doing that this week. Like I'm a sheep this week. Like that's me. Like we, the, the analogy fits like a glove. For the greatest need that a sheep has is for a shepherd and likewise. I think this is, this is key. Likewise, our greatest need as collective humanity is God. Our greatest need is God. 
the shepherd of our souls. And this is what Peter says here, that you have been like sheep that have gone astray. Everyone has gone your own way. You've done what you thought was right in your own eyes. You've you've lived your life. Even if you're like 12, you've done this. Even if you're 25, however long you live, you have done this. But now, once you've seen it, when you've seen the light, Peter says, right in the middle of this really difficult teaching on slavery and a really difficult teaching on household, right in the middle, he's like, but you have returned to the overseer and the shepherds of your souls. He knows where he's leading you. He knows where he wants to take you. Will you trust him? You are sheep and you need a shepherd. You are sheep. Everyone in here. We are like sheep and we need a shepherd. We need God. I mean, I'll just, that's the clearest way I can say it. You need God. I need God. I need him. And I need him every day. And this is frustrating sometimes. I was just telling uh, Pastor Dave Bailey in the back, he's like, how can I pray for you? And I'm like, I'm just, ti- I'm just gonna confess. This is gonna sound really, really unspiritual and not like a pastor, but I'm gonna say it. Sometimes I'm tired of needing God. I feel like I should have, have certain things together in my life to where I'm like, I don't need you anymore. God, I got this now. Like, I got this teaching thing down. I can stand in front of people and teach, like, I can't. Like, I got this life, like, and I, and, and it's, it's sometimes, I feel like crippling being needy. It feels this way, like, God, I need you, but I needed you last week, but I, I thought that was like, I, I called on you like one last time, needed you. Like, God, if I ever needed you, I need you now. And the next week, I'm saying the same thing. It's like, it gets old. There's something about this, but we are sheep. We need, I need God. You need God. You can be self-reliant, and this is why a lot of people come to, to Christ when their life falls apart, because it's all a facade until your life falls apart. You think you have it all together until your life falls apart, and then you realize, I was holding all that stuff together myself? There's no way. I can't do this. I need God. And it's this realization that you do. We need God. But look how intensely personal this, this psalm is. It's the jewel of all the psalms. Look at how personal it is. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, mine. There's this intimate, personal relationship he has with God. He says, and I shall not want, I shall lack nothing. David, you might know this, but David was a, a, um, a shepherd boy. Before he was a king, before uh, pre-like David and Bathsheba, pre-Goliath, pre-I brought, we brought the ark back, pre-king, he was a shepherd boy. So he grew up as a shepherd boy. He grew up as a shepherd. And he got all of his training in the wilderness being a shepherd. And he's saying this. David's, David's a shepherd. He knows when the sheep have a good shepherd, because he's a shepherd, when, a, when sheep have a good shepherd, they will lack no good thing. He's seen bad shepherds, and he's been himself. He even says it to King Saul. I've been a good shepherd. I know how to take care of my sheep. He knows when, when, uh, when, uh, when sh- this group of sheep have a good shepherd, they lack nothing. The shepherd would leave the 99 and go after one lost sheep. If the shepherd in the morning counts a sheep and there's one missing, he will leave the sheep in the pen and go and find that other sheep. Find it if it's lost or like just frozen, doesn't want to move. Or if it's being, if there's like these vultures going around going, this sheep has like fallen over, they call it like cast down. Like a sheep gets so fat that it'll just roll over and their legs stick straight up and they can't get up. Like a little cockroach, just there. And vultures go, this guy's going to die in like two hours. We're done. We're going to eat. And the shepherd goes in, leaves the 99 and goes to find the cast down sheep. 
David knows with a good shepherd, the sheep lack no good thing. The shepherd would risk his life. The shepherd would risk his life fighting off a lion with his bare hands to protect a single sheep. And David's done this. The shepherd would go ahead of the sheep and lead them through the darkest and scariest of valleys to find still, clean water and green pastures. David has done this. David has done all of this for his beloved sheep. And one night, one night as the sheep are in their pen and David lay under the stars in the wilderness thinking about how good his God is, he starts to sing a song. David's a a songwriter. And he starts to pin the song, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He sees his sheep, he sees them happy in the pen, and he's like, I've, I've shepherded these sheep well. Look at how they're content. I've led them to still waters. I've led them to green pastures. They're content, they're happy, they're sleeping. There's no fear for them right now. I'm protecting them. I'll stay awake all night to protect them. The Lord's my shepherd that way. The Lord has led me to green pastures. The Lord has led me beside still waters. The Lord restores my soul. The Lord would leave 99 to go after me. The Lord would see if I'm cast down, and David prays this several times, why are you cast down, O my soul? Put your hope in God. David knows this, and as he's looking at these sheep, he pens this psalm going, the Father is that to me. I'm the sheep. David's looking at his sheep and he knows that these sheep are content and he knows they have all that they need because he cares for them. Then David David makes this intensely personal. The Lord is my. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside still waters. Now why are these two things such a big deal? Why are green pastures and still waters such a big deal? I mean, they're beautiful in their imagery. Actually, one of the biggest needs for sheep is is these green pastures and still water. One of the biggest needs for a sheep, especially in the harsh extreme conditions of the Middle East, is that a shepherd will go before them and find green pastures and still waters. The ironic thing is that that sheep can't get to these necessities by themselves. Sheep can't just go out and scout for, for, for this. They try. They are hungry for green pastures and they need to lie down and rest and they are thirsty and they long for fresh water but they can't get to them without a good shepherd to lead them. That's the irony. They desire it. They long for still waters. They long for green pastures. They long for their souls to find rest. They long to rest but they can't get, they can't get themselves to what they need. Now think about the analogy, okay? They long for it, and they can't get themselves to what they need. So these sheep will eat whatever's in front of them. Sheep will drink whatever they find, even if it eventually kills them. John, in his gospel, tells a story of a woman trying to find water in John chapter 4. And if you read the story the way John intends you to read the story, you can say she's searching for still waters to satisfy a thirst she's had her entire life. So she goes at noon. Normally you would go to get water in the morning when it's the cool of the day. But she goes at noon when no one else is out there because she has shame from this city that she's from. That, more on that in a second. She goes and she goes there every single day to fill her thirst. She's been looking for something. And one day, she goes to the well for water in the middle of the day, and she meets 
Jesus. She goes to the well looking for something to drink in the middle of the day, and she meets Jesus. Jesus, in John's gospel, is depicted as living water. Jesus says this in John's gospel, I am the living water. So the scene is setting up to be pretty great so far. Here's a girl going out. She's thirsty. Here's the living water about to meet her. You're like, ooh, what's going to happen? And then there's some fun interaction. Jesus asks for water. So Jesus goes up to the Samaritan woman and says, can I have some water? And she picks up on the fact that he's a Jew. See, at that time, there were some very heavy racial tensions between Jews and Samaritans. Very heavy. So she, she was shocked even that he would even ask her, what, 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 are you, what are you doing? You're like Jew and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Samaritan. What are you doing asking me for water? And she's a woman, which is another barrier. And there's a, that's another layer. And he's a rabbi. And rabbis never talk to women. So there's another layer. There's all these social taboos Jesus loves to break in the Gospels. And he's breaking all of them to talk to this woman. She doesn't answer his question. He's like, can I have some water? And she's like, what are you doing asking me for water? Like, that's not an answer. You didn't, can I have water or not? Can I, ha- can I not have water? She just says, how can you ask me that? But Jesus is, is like clutch on these situations. He knows, like he just draws stuff out. He's like, well, if you're going to ask me a question, I'm going to ask you a question. If you knew what God had to offer you, and if you knew who it was that was asking you for a drink, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. That's what Jesus says. It's like, okay, if you knew who I was and who, who I was and you asked me for, if you, if you were the one asking me for water, I can give you living water. So what Jesus is doing here is pointing to a deeper thirst, a deeper longing that this woman had. She responds, what are you talking about? You, you, have, you don't have anything to draw water from. We're at a well. You're empty-handed. I have a bucket. See, I'm going to go draw water. Where's your bucket? You don't have anything to draw water from. And... And how, what about this living water you speak of? I'm very interested in the living water thing because I'm tired of coming out here every single day. Like if you could give me living water where I don't have to come out in the middle of the desert, that'd be awesome. And then Jesus goes for the heart. Jesus goes right for her heart and he says this. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, speaking of this water that's coming from this well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them, they will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus goes right for the heart, like you've been going after something that never satisfies you. He's using this well as an analogy for her life. You've been drinking from the same well, and you're always thirsty, and you're always full of shame. You're here at noon every single day. But I have water for you that will give you everlasting life. Water that will burst inside of you. And this is my favorite line. The woman said to him, sir, uh, give me this water so I won't be thirsty. She's like, can I get get in on that? Like, how do I have that? I want that water. Just so raw. I love it. I I want that water. Like, that's the water I want. She knows it. Jesus is like just provoking her. She's like, he's like, you've been going after something that never satisfies. I have something for you that will satisfy you always. Now, what Jesus does next is the sheep piece. This is where it ties in. It's the piece that reveals that we all, all of us, we are all of us like sheep. Every, this woman was like a sheep. You and I are like a sheep. 
he proves that she's like a sheep that's been going after water that's just been in front of her her whole life with this one request. This is what he says. He told her, go. You want this water? Well, go and call your husband and come back. That's it. Just go and, just can you go? Okay, that's, just go get your husband and we'll have this conversation. This, this request is the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. Another thing that uh, Jesus is called in John's gospel. He's pressing in on what this woman has been thirsting for and how she has been in vain trying to satisfy her thirst. She's been thirsty and she's been trying to satisfy her thirst in a particular way. We all do this. There is a particular way that we've tried to satisfy our longings. There is a particular way that we've been trying to satisfy our thirst. There is some well that we've been drinking. There's been something that we've been drinking from as sheep. They've just been in front of us. Like, it might not even be necessarily, and this is going to sound really hokey, like our fault. Like, you just don't know anything better, but we know it doesn't satisfy. We go to it over and over and over and over and over again. And Jesus, the good shepherd's like, let me, just go get your husband. He just, he's just pressing in on the thing that she, she, she goes to all the time. This broken cistern, this well she goes to all the time to try to find satisfaction. She says, I, I, ha- I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And there it is. This woman is a lost sheep. And she's been looking for meaning. She's been looking for satisfaction, for fulfillment in marriage in sex, and in intimacy. But that's not the cool still water she's, she's drinking. It's not, it's, not, it's not the green pastures that she's been, she's been lying in. She's longed for those things, but she thinks, okay, this person, this next relationship will be cool still water for my soul. And she drinks from it, and she's like, nope, just like the rest of them. And somehow, the, the whole town knows this. To where she's, a, she's, she's, uh, she's shamed out, where she's not even hanging out with everyone else, going to the watering hole at the same time as everyone else. She goes at a different time to avoid everyone. But Jesus meets her. These cheap substitutes that she goes after leaves her thirsty again and again and again. But let's just give her the benefit of the doubt for a second. Maybe it was all she had in front of her, like a sheep. Like, well, that's, the, that's just the puddle that's been in front of me the whole time. She, never, she knew it never fulfilled her, but what was the alternative? She knew it, and it was like, oh, yeah, I, I keep going this thing. It doesn't satisfy me, but what do I do? See, almost every commentator will tell you that Jesus was on his way from Judea to Galilee in chapter 4 of John, and to stop at Samaria was out of his way. It would be like going through East Oakland on your way to Santa Cruz. just doesn't make any sense. You just don't do that. Unless... You were trying to rescue a lost sheep. Unless the good shepherd will go, said, we have to go out of our way into almost enemy territory to go and rescue a lost sheep. Because there she is at the well again, day after day after day, drinking from the same toxic puddle that's killing her. We need, she needs shepherding. 
She needs to know where real living water is. She needs to be led by still waters. She needs her soul to be restored. And so Jesus, and please, would you please, please, please picture your Christ, your God like this, our God, going after you. If today you've been far off and somehow, some way, you ended up at this church, how weird. It's not that weird. This could be God going out of his way. Even if you're a Christian, you could be just a lost sheep. You could have somehow just fell over in a, in a, in a rut and like got stuck and you're there like just, I'm stuck, I can't move. And God is so good to go after you. This is our shepherd right here. He goes after this woman who's been drinking from this well that never satisfies, that never gives her what she really longs for, so he can lead her beside still water, so she can have a, rest- a restoring of her soul. See, sheep don't actually lie down to rest unless they're free from all fears. Sheep won't rest. They'll just stand up until they're free from fears, and then they'll lay down. I mean, they won't like roll over, but they'll lay down. So when David says that he makes us, the shepherd makes us to lie down in green pastures, don't read that he forces us. The word there is not like, he ma- he's like, hey, sheep, you shut up, go to sleep, here's your lawn. That's not what's happening here. That's not what the shepherd's doing. This is what the shepherd's doing. The shepherd creates an environment that dispels all fear so that sheep can lay down and rest. The shepherd creates an environment that is free from all fear so that we can lay down and rest. This is what Jesus was doing when he went after the woman at the well. Let me create for you an environment so you can finally have rest for your soul. See, we all, like sheep, have gone astray, every single one of us. For the Samaritan woman, it was the stale waters of intimacy that she returned to. That might be you, over and over and over again. You return to the stale waters of intimacy. You go out another weekend, another weeknight, to a bar, to somewhere, to find that intimacy, and every single time, it's empty, Every single time. It's fun. It's exciting. It gets your pulse going, but it's empty. It's empty. Every single time. But pick your flavor. It, doesn't, it could be achievement. It could be money, power, beauty. Just think about it. There is something. For everyone here, there is something that we go to. That well we go to often, and when we do, we're shocked that it didn't satisfy us like we thought it would. We're shocked. Like, I went to it again, I thought this time it would be different. It's not. We're like, oh my gosh, it's the same thing. And most of us have a thing like this. And because we have a thing like this, we can't rest. Because although it doesn't satisfy us, we fear losing it. Although we know it never satisfies us, we fear losing it. There was why there was this woman who's living with this man who was not her husband. There's something that she said, I, yes, this isn't satisfy me, but I fear losing him. Because although we know it doesn't satisfy us, we don't want to lose it. There is no true rest until we're released from our fears. We, like sheep, will not rest until we've been released from our fear and brought to green pastures. See, sheep have no means of self-defense. They are helpless timid, feeble creatures whose only recourse is to run. Or they stand there 
never wanting to lie down, knowing that they would be vulnerable if they did lie down. So they're forever on their feet. They're forever on the mood. They're, they're searching for a scanty mouthful of food that can never really satisfy. Or they get thirsty and become restless in their pursuit of water. And if they don't find clean, pure water, they'll just drink whatever's in front of them, polluted potholes and contaminated streams that will eventually toxically kill them. And the only way that there is true rest and the only way that there is true contentment is at the shepherd's side. He leads me by still waters. He leads me. St. Augustine said famously, Great art thou, Lord, and greatly to be praised. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. David knew this. The Samaritan woman found this out about Jesus too. I have found this to be true. My heart is restless until it finds rest in God. Until I believe that he is my shepherd. That he is the good shepherd. Philosopher Blaise Pascal said it differently. He said, he said that every human heart has an infinite abyss that can only be filled with the infinite. Every human heart has an infinite abyss that can only be filled with the infinite. This is the good shepherd. Every single human, I don't care how comfortable you are in your life, how stable you are, all of us need a shepherd. We, like sheep, have a great need for a shepherd. What did Peter say again? Sandwiched between a heavy passage on slaves and the other one one on marriage, he said, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. The shepherd of our souls. The overseer of our souls. The one who restores our souls. Who is this? It is Jesus. Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am that good shepherd. I am the good shepherd that David was talking about. I am that one, Israel, that you long for. I am your shepherd. I am the overseer of your soul. And a good shepherd, what a good shepherd does is lay his life down for the sheep. Roger Ellsworth, writing on the psalm, says this about that passage, Psalm 23. He says, He says, with me there was poverty and emptiness, but with Christ, riches and abundance. My poverty once made him poor, but now his riches make me rich, and I shall not want. I was often weary, but he is always strong. Once my weariness made him weary, but now his strength makes me strong. I knew only rough and noisy places, but he knows the places soft and quiet, Once you came into the rough and noise for me, and now I dwell in the green pastures of tender grass and beside the waters of quietness with him. I was hungry and thirsty in a desert place, but Christ is all the fullness of God. Once he became hungry on the cross and said, I thirst, and he did it for me, and now he has brought me into the land of plenty, and he restores my soul. Here's a question. If Jesus, our shepherd, 
has led us to green pastures, if he has led us beside still waters, are we lying down? Are we resting? If Christ is your shepherd, are you resting in him? Are you drinking deep from the satisfaction that's found only in Christ? Do you realize that because of Jesus, because of his work on the cross, he has removed all our fears? Because Christ laid his life down for us, he has removed all of our fears. He has removed the wrath of God and the fear associated with that. Where now perfect love casts out all fear. He has removed the power of sin and we know that we no longer have to fear sin's mastery over us. He has destroyed the authority structure of Satan who prowls around like a roaring lion, Peter talks about, looking for someone to devour. He has removed the fear of death and makes us say to death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? And because of what Christ has done, because Christ is our good shepherd, we can find rest. Our souls can be restored. He is our shepherd, the overseer of our soul. We can lie down in green pastures that Christ has won for us. And we can be led beside still waters knowing that he is with us. A few years ago, I was going through a very difficult time um, in, my, in my walk with 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 Christ, with the Good Shepherd, and following the Good Shepherd. And I picked up this book. It was like, I don't know, there were, I don't know if it was a book written by Charles Spurgeon, who was a famous uh, preacher in England, or it was um, an excerpt from, from like some of his sermons. Whatever it was, I picked this up. It was called Beside Still Waters. And I would just read this thing every single day. And there's this one passage that stuck out to me that I go to quite often that I want to read to you and we'll close like this. He says this. Listen, child of God, you can lose your possessions, but you cannot lose your God. Like Jonah, you can see your plant wither, but your God remains. You may lose your land, but not your God. You may lose your savings, but not your Savior. Even if it came to the worst and you were left for a while as one forsaken by God, you still would not lose him. Like the Lord Jesus on the cross, you may still call him my God. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. The Lord is a portion from which we can never be alienated. He lives, he reigns, he will be our guide even unto death. Lord, I, I want to just thank you for being our good shepherd. That you're truly our shepherd, God. And right now, God, I pray that in the, in the quietness of this church and this, this time, that God, if, if we have not said, Lord, be my shepherd, restore my soul, that there'd be something that goes on during this time of response that we make a movement toward you, God that we turn from, turn from drinking water out of broken cisterns, torn, turn from drinking water out of wells over and over again that never satisfy turning, or the word would be repenting from that God and turning to Christ, the living water, the good shepherd, the bread of life.
We turn to you, Lord, and I pray in a very, very, very real way that you would shepherd us, God. That we would return to you. We were like sheep going astray. We turned our own way, but now we, have, we, are, we want to return. We want to return to the shepherd and the overseer of our soul. We return to you now. In Christ's name, amen.